Uh, welcome you guys to church, uh, whether you're here in person, if you're watching online, uh, if you're home in Portland or Arizona, Alaska, wherever you are, we're so glad that you've uh, joined us. You know, I, I want to begin just with prayer. So can we just pray? I know we just prayed, but I need some prayer right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I want to start this off, God, by just calling upon you um, just because of what's on my heart and because of the way I believe you've, you've moved, Lord. And God, in this time, I want to fully depend on you and just give this all to you. We thank you for your grace, and I know that you're here with us. And I thank you for your presence, Lord. I pray that you use me today to uh, deliver your words, Father. You know me, pray. Amen. So I was thinking that um, I really should have preached last week's sermon this week. I really felt like that. Uh, last week's sermon was called, basically, It's Okay If You're Not Okay. And the reason I feel that I should have prayed that or spoken that to today is because, like, today is kind of a day where, like, I'm not okay. And I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're not okay, but I'm, like, not in a great place today. And um, we'll talk a little bit about where that's coming from, why I feel that way. And, and last week we talked about how when you're in that place and you're not okay, what God calls us to do is not, like, just pretend like everything's okay and just have a stiff upper lip and just you know, push on through. He, he teaches us this thing, something called the prayer of lament, where we, we lament to God and we wrestle with God because things are bad, but then God is good. Like we believe God is good and he is faithful and he is just, but like the situations are really bad. And so we, we wrestle with God and that's what we do when we lament. And it's something he's asked us to do. And he's taught us that he meets us in that place of pain and struggle. And so, um, and that's why I feel like I wish God gave me that message today and not last week because I feel like that's the place I'm in, um, really because of kind of what happened in our nation this week. So uh, you probably know, but if you don't, on Tuesday evening in Atlanta, Georgia, um, there was a tragic shooting at three different massage spas um, in the Atlanta area and a little bit outside of Atlanta. And uh, there was a shooter. He went in and he killed eight people, um, six of them Asian women, four of them Korean women. Uh, and so, like, clearly for me, that, that, like, hits home. You know, that's kind of like, that was like a, whoa, whoa. Like, this is as, as, as close to anything that we've experienced, and I've experienced in my life in terms of, like, national tragedy, like, touching my life. Like, this is, this is really close. Um, obviously, because I'm a Korean person and I have a Korean mom who's elderly and, and all that stuff. And um, so it was just like, man, it was a crazy week. And, and I don't know. I think people all kind of dealt with it differently. We all had different responses and different thoughts. Like some people are like, oh, man, that is like so tragic. That's just so sad. You know, that's, I'm just so sad. Some people are like outraged and, and so mad about the situation. Um, some people are just like, it sucks, but everything sucks. You know, like, like life is just hard right now. Like, I'm not surprised. Um, and so for me, like, I was just, like, this whole week was just trying to, like, process this, man. Like, I didn't know how to do it, you know? Like, I don't know how to talk about this kind of stuff, apparently. I thought I did, but I don't. And so I was, like, just thought and prayed and, and lamented this week. Um, like, it was, it was so rough. It was such a strange, strange week and a strange experience for me and like you know talking to some people and you know I don't know if you guys did this but like one of the things I did is I called home I called my mom and I was like mom are you okay like how do you feel are you, are you feeling okay are you feeling like nervous and scared and she's like 
you know, a little bit, but no. Like, you know, I live in K-Town. There's, like, tons of Korean people. Like, it's probably okay. And then she said, but, you know, like, some random person could come and attack me. Like, that's possible. I was like, dang, man. Like, that's real. That's real. She's like, oh, you know, places that I go, I drive everywhere. And then I go into, like, indoor parking lots and stuff like that and markets. So it should be okay, but you never know. And I was like, mom, do you, do you still take walks around your neighborhood? And she's like, no, I don't take walks around my neighborhood anymore. I was like, okay, good. All right, like, don't, don't do that. And like, it's, like, it's weird that I have to even say those kinds of things to my parents. Maybe you guys had very similar conversations with, uh, with your parents. Um, I also called our senior pastor, Pastor Park, on our Korean ministry. And I was like, Pastor Park, how was our Korean ministry? You know, our Korean ministry, a lot of them are elderly. I was like, hey, are they doing okay? Are they, like, nervous? Do they have anxiety? Like, do they need help? You know, if they need to go somewhere, please let us know. We can, like, escort them if they, it just makes them feel better. He's like, no, they're fine. I think they're okay, but thank you for that. So, like, you know, I was, like, just trying to figure out what to do. And it was hard. Like, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to respond to the situation. And I don't know, maybe you were kind of confused like me. Um, but one thing that happened during this week as I was, like, reflecting is, uh, and I think inevitably this happens, is, like, you think about your life, and you think about, like, all those moments where you experience some sort of, like, racism or, like, micro-racism, right? And, and for us as a primarily Asian-American church, um, I bet you, like, a lot of you guys have experiences. Like, I know you do, you know? And some of you who are older, you have really bad experiences. I remember hearing some of those stories. And, like, for me, the, like, they came flooding back, you know, and I kept thinking about... You know, and, and I grew up in, in Los Angeles, in a suburb of L.A., primarily Asian, and still, like, you know, I experienced stuff. And, like, you know, some of the stories are, like, people coming up to me and saying, hey, you know, we were on an orchestra trip one time to San Francisco. We're, like, touring the city, and this person comes up to us and says, hey, go back to you where you came from. Go back home. Go back to China. Right? Like, they say stuff like that. And, you know, you kind of think about those experiences, those cars who drove by and someone yelled, a racial slur at you. And it's bad for me because, like, literally my last name, Chong, is, like, part of the racial slur, right? Like, Ching Chong. It's, like, part of it, so it's hard. Um, but there was one, like, one memory that I had not thought about in a really long time that, like, just came up. And uh, it was this, uh, this time when my mom came home and she bought me a brand new lunchbox. And um, it was from a place called... Kim Sejonggi. You guys from LA, you guys know what I'm talking about? Kim Sejonggi? Yeah? No? Okay. All right. It's like, a, it's a Korean home goods store, right? Where they sell home goods and stuff like that. And she bought this like awesome lunchbox. And it was like the dopest, the coolest lunchbox ever. It was not like a regular lunchbox with like, you know, a red box that you open up and there's like just one compartment. It was like a tall one. You guys remember what I'm talking about? These, they came out, they're like tall and they're like multi-layered. And then in the lunchbox, it's kind of a cylinder. There's like bunch of different mini Tupperware and then like they can like kind of move in different configurations and they were small but they all like stacked on top of each other and it's for like rice and like soups and panchans and side dishes that we could you could all put into one thing and I was like I remember thinking like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen and it had like secret compartments for stuff like chopsticks and I was like this is amazing and it, it was a uh, it was uh, insulated so you could put hot soup in there and it would stay hot all day and I remember the coolest thing was at the bottom, it had the secret compartment where you could slide out this, like, switchblade spork. You remember? You could, like, flip it out like that. And it was just, like, so cool. And I remember thinking, like, man, this is a really, really awesome lunchbox. I'm so excited. This is going to be so cool. And then I remember going to school with it 
and sitting down for lunch, looking around, and nobody has a lunchbox like this. Like, nobody has it. Everyone has, like, a brown paper bag, or they got their Transformers, they got their G.I. Joe, they got their whatever lunchbox, or their, like, you know, insulated bag. And I got this, like, weird cylinder lunchbox. And in that moment, I was, like, ashamed. Like, when I was at home, it was so cool. And then I get to school, and nobody else has that. And I feel, like, weird about this, this lunchbox because it's just making me stand out. And, like, it was so stupid and such a little thing. But, but that was an experience that I remember, like, man, I'm, I don't fit in here. And I'm kind of ashamed. I wish, and in that moment, I remember wishing, I wish I just had a brown paper bag. Like, I wish that was my lunch container. And it's like so, so weird to think about those thoughts. But those memories came, came, came back to me this, this week as I was thinking about all the things that are happening in this world. And as I kind of like lamented over this and, and thought and prayed, especially about what to talk about today, um, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things that I could have said today. But as I was thinking and as I was praying, what God kind of impressed upon me, he's like, Chris, I know that that's your story. And I know that, like, those things are hard and, and you experience those things. But, like, that's not what you need right now. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't want to dwell on that. What do I need, God? And he showed me and he told me what I need. And I don't know if you all need this, but I think this is what we need right now. And you may not need it now, but you, maybe you'll need it later. And so you can watch this message later, and, and you, can, you, know, you can listen later. But, but what I realized as I was struggling through it, God said, what you need right now is not to remember all those painful memories. What you need right now is you need hope. And I was like, yeah, you're right, God. That's what I need. So today, I want to talk about why we can have hope. That even if stuff is bad, why we can have hope. And this is not to erase the lamenting, because, you know, I kind of went through that, and I think that's a part of the process. It's not to erase the lamenting. It is not to erase the action and the things that we got to do. But we all need hope, guys. And we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, we have a very special message of hope that we can share with people. And this is what I was, what God impressed on my heart uh, on, on what we should talk about today and why we should have hope. And so I want to break it down, and it's not going to be complicated. I'm going to break it down why I believe we can have hope in Jesus today, right now, in this moment, in this season. And it really comes down to, like, two simple reasons. And the first is, is that, number one, we can have hope in Jesus because Jesus mourns with us. He mourns with us. You know, you, you probably all know the shortest verse in the Bible, what is it? Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35, right? Last night, my niece Claire was like, hey, there's one memory verse I'll never forget. And I was like, what? She was like, Jesus wept, right? She was all like proud. I was like, yeah, that's right, Jesus wept, right? And, and that story of Jesus weeping is this very uh, touching, tender moment where we see that Jesus is not unaffected, that God is not unaffected by our lives, that he is hurt and he feels and he mourns and laments with us when we are in pain. But as I was studying this, like, there's a couple of verses that I came across that took it to the next level. And I want to share these verses with you. It's from Jeremiah. The first one is Jeremiah 19, verse 17 and 18. It says, consider now. This is God speaking, by the way. Call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us. 
till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. This is not Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. This is God. It says, and right before, I didn't put it in there, but it says, and the Lord said. And so listen to what he says. When he says it, he says, wail over who? Us. Wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears, till our our eyes, we collectively, God and us, overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. Like God is, is with us in this pain. He's crying and weeping and mourning with us. Like that's so amazing. It's not, it's not called the widows or the, the wailing women to come and wail over you and cry over you, you sinners. You bad people, you who are making the mistakes, you, you Israel, you people, it's us. They wail over us, and our eyes overflow with tears, and water stream from, from our eyelids. Listen to this one in Jeremiah 13, 17. It says, if you do not listen, he's talking to Israel, I will weep in secret. Because of your pride, my eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. This is God talking. This is God talking. Yes, Jesus wept and God mourns with us. And I don't know, when I read these verses, I was like, man, this is so real. Like the, the mourning and, and weeping of God is not for show. It's not to make us feel better. It's because he understands. And that's why... The fact that God mourns with us gives me hope. It's not because he mourns simply. It's because he mourns because he understands. The only reason God mourns with us is because he understands our pain. He understands our suffering. He understands our fear. And he understands our anxiety. He understands the, the fear that our elderly population has. He understands the anxiety that we have living in this world. He gets it. He understands it. He feels it. And it pains him. And so he mourns. He mourns with us. And that's why I have hope in Jesus. Because he understands. Like the thing that you're going through, he gets it. He was one of us. He understands the pain that we feel. And like, that's amazing, right? Because God is not some far off being, you know, in, in, in heaven, so far away, distant from us, looking down us in our pain, saying, oh, wow, sucks to be you guys. No, he is, he is among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And God mourning and weeping with us. So I don't know, this, this matters so much to me that God understands me. That he understands the hurt that I feel and the pain that I feel and the worry that I feel. And, and I hope it matters to you that God understands the, the depression that you're in. And he understands the fear and the things that you're scared of. And he's, he understands what's stressing you out. He understands that you are at the end of your rope. He understands that you are losing your mind. He understands it and he weeps and he mourns, mourns with you. So that's like the first reason why I have hope in Jesus is because he mourns with us. And he mourns with the families of the victims in Atlanta. He mourns with them and he feels them. And he mourns with them more than any of us could ever mourn with them. Because not only does he know them, they are his children. They are his children who are suffering. They are his children who were killed and murdered. And so he mourns because he understands. 
So whenever you're in, in a place of pain and, and struggle and, and worry and, and you're in a dark, deep valley in your life, just know that God is not far off. He is with you in the darkness, in the valley, walking with you, mourning with you because he understands. So that's the first real reason why I, I mourn or I, I have hope in Jesus because he mourns because he understands. But the second is, is something else. It's something, it's something different. And this is really like the second part that I want to really drill down on as far as why we can have hope in Jesus. Last week, I, t I shared a prayer of lament with you. It was from Psalm 13. And I want to show you guys that once again. I want to look at kind of the process this, this person, David, goes through in his prayer of lament. Listen to what he says. It says, Psalm 13. How long, Lord? How long? Remember, that was a very faith-filled phrase. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is such a strange prayer, isn't it? Like when you read this prayer clearly, there are two very distinct sections of this prayer. There's what I call the dark part and then the good part. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The dark part is where he's like, how long, God, my enemies, they will, they'll, they'll say over me, they'll overcome me, like I have sorrow in my heart every single day. This is the dark part, but then it switches, and he's like, I will trust in your unfailing love. You have been good to me. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That's the good part. Like, it's clear in this, in this prayer of lament, and lots of times prayers of lament go like that. And it, it mirrors the process that we go through, that we lament and we wrestle and we struggle, and sometimes, a lot of times, not all the times, we come out through it in worship. So there's this dark part, and then there's this good part. And here's what I've learned lately. Here's what I've learned recently. That in order to get to the good part, a lot of times, you have to go through the dark part. That if you want to get to the good part, you have to get through the dark part. You guys ever have a, a friend or a family member say, hey, have you seen that new show? And you're like, no, no, I haven't seen it. And they're like, oh, it's such a good show. But you got to get through like the first like six episodes. And you're like, what? I don't want to get through the first six episodes. Like, is it really good? Then he's like, no, 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 no. You just got to get through the first like six episodes and it gets really good. Like you got to get through the bad stuff to get to the good stuff. And it's true like that in life. It's not all good stuff. Like we don't all have good parts. It's not 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365, good parts. No, we all have dark parts. But you have to get through the dark part, and what's going to come out through the other side is the good part. And you can't give up in the dark part, or you'll miss the good part. You see, what I've realized, what I've realized in this life is that, that what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is true. This is what he says. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Notice that he doesn't say that all things are good. He says all things. Good things, bad things. Good parts, dark parts. Happy parts, sad parts. Joyful parts, grieving parts. 
all things, all parts of the human life, all parts of the human experience, they're not all good. Some of it's terrible and really bad and really sad and very terrible and very tragic. But all of those things can be worked out for good. And the reason why it can be worked out for good is because Jesus is good. That's why. That's why I have hope in Jesus, because Jesus is good. Because God is good, right? This is why I have hope not in people. This is why my hope is placed not in in institutions. This is why my hope is not placed in, in all other kinds of things this world has to offer because those things can't give me hope. They would make promises to me that I, they can't keep. But God, he's good. And because he is good, we can have hope. Because he is good. In, in, in the book of 1 John, John writes, do, do not love the world. Do not love the world. And, and um, no, I don't have that on screen. He says, do not love the world. And, you know, we read that and we're like, yeah, don't love the world. The world is bad, right? And, and, and we shouldn't fall in love with the world. And that means all these kinds of things that we've taught and learned about in church. But, you know, look, if you read more, he talks about why you shouldn't love the world. And it's not because it's so evil. And, yes, there are evil parts of the world. There are bad things in the world, yes. But, hey, let's be honest. There are some good things in the world, too. Right? There's some good food in the world. There are some good people in the world. There's, there's, there's good music that may not be Christian music. That's good music. And, and there's good things out there. And there's good art in the world. He says, do not love the world because of this. In, in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, do not love the world because the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives The reason he says do not love the world is because it is temporary. He says do not love the world because whatever it offers, it will disappear at one point. In other words, what he's saying is the world will disappoint you, so don't put your hope in the world. Instead, put it in me. Don't put your hope in the things of this world because it's not going to fix it. The world is broken, so every solution the world comes up with is also broken. But we have hope in Jesus because Jesus is good. That's why I hope. That's why I hope in Jesus. That's why I believe that even though the situation is is not great right now, I can have hope in Jesus. Because even if the situation is bad, I can have hope because he's good. You know, even if it's not even about believing that God is going to come in and immediately fix the situation around me, right? Like this particular situation. It's not even that God is going to come in and, and, and do something miraculous and change everything around me. It's going to be so much better. It's not even about that. I can have hope, even if the situation does not change, because my God is a good God. And he is a God who understands. And he is a God who has made a promise. You know, this is so important for us in these difficult times to cling to hope. But cling to the greatest hope. Don't cling to some budget hope. Cling to the true hope that is really hope. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl. 
some of you may know him. He's a pretty famous uh, writer, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl, he, uh, he lived through World War II, and he's a Jewish man who went through four different concentration camps, and he was, he did, uh, he was at Auschwitz, and he, in his observations and his things that he looked, he ended up writing a book, and, and the theories and what he observed there became the basis for his, like, psychology later. And what he said, he said, what I observed is that the people who survived the longest were not the strongest ones. They weren't the physically fit ones. He says the ones who survived the longest were the ones who had hope. It didn't matter if they were scrawny or, or, or if they were built or whatever. What mattered, what the difference was, was hope. And that's why I was like, man, what I need today, I mean, lament, mourning, action, all that stuff is important. But at least for me, and maybe I'm preaching this for me, and this is God's word for me, what I've needed is hope. And I think maybe what some of you guys need is hope. You see, my hope. My hope has a name. My hope has a name. My hope's name is not, and I love these guys so much, right? I love Ed, Jeremy, and Ken, our wonderful elders of our church, but my hope's name is not Ed, Jeremy, or Ken. My hope's name is not Tracy, my wife. My hope's name is not Miles or Hazel, my children. My hope's name is not actually even Rock Fellowship. My hope's name is not the United States of America. My hope has a name, and his name, his name is Jesus. He's my hope. And he's why I can keep going. And he's why I will press on. And he's why I can lament and mourn and be in the dark part, but I can get to the good part because he is good and he is who I believe in. And he is who I've staked my entire life and future on. And I have no doubt in my mind that he will get us through. It may be in this life or it may not be. This rest of this life and the rest of this world may be terrible and really hard, but we have the greatest hope that he's coming back. And he will make all things new. This is why I have hope today. And I hope that you can understand why we can have hope in Jesus. It's not some, it's not some murky, it's not some abstract, it's not some fantastic delusion to make us feel better. It is real because Jesus was real. He was a person and he lived. Our hope has a name, Jesus. Our hope has a face, our hope has a shape, and that shape is the shape of a cross. 2,000 years ago, we look to that cross, we look to that hill, and there we see our hope. A God who loves us, a heavenly Father who loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us, to, to establish us and give us eternal hope and future. So let's not love the world. Let's not put our hope in the world. There is only one person who is worthy of your hope, and he's Jesus Christ. I want to close with one last uh, quote from Viktor Frankl. Um, he said this. He says, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They have may, be, may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof 
that everything can be taken from a man or a woman. Everything. But one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. So let's choose the way of Jesus. Let's choose to have hope in him and in no one else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, it's been a tough week for a lot of people. But I hope that today, in this moment, Father, that we would be filled and strengthened and inspired by the hope that we can have in you. Lord, I want us to all choose hope rather than despair. I want us to all choose hope rather than fear and worry and stress. But Father, let us choose the hope that is rooted in who you are and in your character and rooted in the cross, Lord. Father, I don't know who this message is for, but Father, I thank you for it. I thank you, God, that you've shown us that you understand. Thank you for understanding. And thank you for being with us in this time. Lord God, I pray a special prayer for the victims of the families in Atlanta. God, I pray for them that you would comfort them and be with them. You would send people to their lives to be a presence of love and support, to give them strength, to help them and walk with them in the darkness, in the mourning and the lamenting and the grieving. Give them support from people. And Father, may you pull them out of it when the time is right. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that you'd watch over our families, our friends, our loved ones. Our hope is in you, in you alone, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.